Well, The Lord of the Rings is uh, an epic tale, isn't it? There are great battles. There are uh, complex characters. There is a clash between good and evil in that great book. And yet at the heart of it, the heart of that story, is a friendship. Frodo has Sam, and because he does, he can face a great struggle. And Tolkien was someone who had a, a group of very good friends. They called themselves the Inklings, and each week they would meet in a pub in Oxford to read one another's writing and pull one another's legs. And Tolkien and a number of the Inklings, they were profoundly influenced by Scripture. And in a sense, that great story, The Lord of the Rings, it, it echoes what we read in the Bible. The events we read in Scripture, they are truly epic. They span the whole of human history. In fact, they, they speak of things before and after human history. The Bible describes a great conflict between good and between evil. And yet, at the very heart of Scripture is a story of friendship. It's the story of a friendship that was formed in Genesis 1 between God and man. It's a friendship that was spurned, rejected in Genesis 3. And really, the rest of the Bible is all about how God went after those he wanted to have as his friends. How those friends, how those enemies went, became friends. I begin that way just to give some background to our passage and also to say that um, this uh, passage we're looking at, the theme we're thinking about is friendship. And yet these verses are not everything the Bible says about friendship. They're not even everything the book of Proverbs says about friendship. And I'm not going to try and cover even all the verses that we've read this evening. But I do think these verses... Proverbs 27, 1 to 10, can help us to understand, to be good friends. As we look at them, I want to draw out uh, three things, and here's the first, the anti-friends, the anti-friends. That's the first heading tonight. Now, Proverbs is full of warnings about the, the type of people you and I are to avoid. Now, we see that especially in chapters 1 to 9 as the father warns his son about people who could lead him astray. And at first glance, the, the beginning of chapter 27, it might seem like these verses have little to say about friendship. And yet what I think we see in verse 1 is a trait that makes a person difficult to be friends with. In verse 1, we are warned of the danger of boasting. A person who does this can become their own worst enemy. Do not boast about tomorrow, says the author, for you do not know what a day may bring. I suspect that verse was in the mind of the Lord Jesus when he warned us not to be anxious and said that each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm as certain as I can be that it was in the mind of James when he wrote chapter 4 of his letter. Listen to what he says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town. Spend a year there. Trade. Make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Instead of engaging in self-exaltation, instead of acting with kind of God-like certainty, Proverbs tells us to remember that you and I don't know the future. 
And Proverbs tells us when it comes to praise, we should let others do the talking. This is what wisdom looks like. And Charles Bridges, one of the, the kind of older commentators, he, he borrows an illustration from somebody else, which is what good preachers do, isn't it? And he compares praise to clothing. And his point is that there, there are certain types of clothing. It is a lot better or a lot easier for someone else to put on you than for you to try and get on yourself. We know that, don't we? We, we do that. The big overcoat when you're already wearing a suit. What does the person in the shop say? They say, they say let, me, let me help you with that, sir. They add, sir, if it's a, a fancy shop. Praise is like that. It's better when someone else praises you than when you praise yourself. Do you believe that tonight? Charles Bridges, he, he also compares praise to music. He makes the point, it sounds better hearing someone else singing than listening to ourselves. But then he says this. He says, the proud creature would shine alone. The proud creature would shine alone. This was the devil's problem, wasn't it? He wanted adulation. He wanted to rise above all others, even God himself. I think the writer of Proverbs wants us to kind of read between the lines and see how damaging that can be. If you and I behave like this, if we engage in kind of endless self-promotion, if we boast, then we'll end up alone. Now, in 3 and 4, uh, the writer of Proverbs, he, he introduces us to two anti-friends, as I said. The first is the fool. Look at the, the comparison he makes in verse 3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation, that is his anger or his vexation, is heavier than both. And as you look along that verse, maybe you can see that the progression. Um, a stone is one thing. And the sand, maybe the, maybe the sand of the seashore is another. But life with a fool, life lived in the company of a fool is heavier, is harder. What the author is doing here, he's contrasting physical weight with psychological weight. And many of you have experienced this. You've had someone in your life who just pulled you down. Maybe it was with their unkind words. Maybe it was with actions. Being in the company of that person, it felt heavy. And the truth is, you cannot be friends with that kind of person. And you cannot be friends with a jealous person either. Verse 4. Derek Kidner, he points out there, there are really two types of jealousy in Scripture. There is jealousy for, that's the kind we see in God as he describes his relationship with us as a marital one. That's good jealousy. Paul says he's jealous for the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Husbands and wives should, in a sense, be jealous for, should want to guard and defend the honor of one another. 
But there's another type of jealousy, isn't there? Not jealousy for, but jealousy of. And again, look at the the progression. Look how things go from bad to worse in verse 4. Wrath is cruel. That's one thing. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Here is something worse than cruel, worse than something that's overwhelming, and it's to be in the company of someone who is jealous. Who can stand before it? The answer to that question is no one. Um, I watched a little video this week. It was on YouTube. I think YouTube knew I was speaking about friendship this week. You know what it's like when you're on the internet or the computer and stuff just appears in your feed for you to watch. It was uh, a psychiatrist speaking about friendship. He said that a friend is somebody you can tell bad news to. But then he also said this, a friend is someone you can tell good news to. Just think about that. Tell a friend your bad news. What will they do? They will console you. They'll pray for you. Tell them your good news. They will rejoice with you. But some people won't do that. And some people will hear something good has happened to you. And they will try and put you down. American author Gore Vidal, he once said, whenever a friend succeeds, a little something in me dies. But that is a warped view of friendship, isn't it? In a healthy friendship, you and I, we can celebrate the success of one another. Jealousy is very, very dangerous. Do you remember what David did when he realized that he was in the company of a jealous man? When he got to understand Saul, he ran from him. And jealousy is so damaging, it can seep into churches, it can seep into friendships, into marriages, into presbyteries. Put a group of ministers together, and jealousy can be right under the surface. Jealousy can cause untold damage to relationships. It can cause family feuds that can fester for generations. It's it's no wonder Shakespeare called it the green-eyed monster. Be on your guard against it. In fact, I think that, that monster language is helpful, isn't it? Thinking of our own hearts. We would never let a lion into this church building, would we? We'd never think that's okay. And yet jealousy is a far bigger threat. Jealousy is a monster. And it's a monster you and I could easily bring into this church family or into our own families. And we need to kill that monster. Each of us has a responsibility to one another. Jealousy is like gossip. Jealousy is like a lethal infection. And we need to deal with that ruthlessly. So the anti-friends, the anti-friends. Here's the second thing, though, the good friend, the good friend. That's the second point, the good friend. I think friendship is something uh, 
our culture is very confused about, isn't it? Um, I think one of the reasons for that is it's, it's become so kind of sexualized. In years past, it was common for men to write long and, and affectionate letters to their friends, their male friends. But of course, today, when those letters are discovered, well, what do people do? People often read into them things that weren't there, things they want to see. And a lovely, warm, affectionate friendship between, let's say, two men, well, it's changed in the eyes of the reader into something else. Now, I mentioned Mark Zuckerberg last week. Let me state something totally obvious. Facebook and social media has impacted our view of friendship. It has cheapened it. It has left many people feeling bereft of real deep friendship, the kind they were made to enjoy, and the kind of friends they were made to be. But what does a good friend look like? How does a good friend behave? How do we become good friends? Well, Proverbs has got lots to say about these things. I want to focus on one big thing as we we think about these questions. Look at verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Now, if you look at that verse, you can see there's, there's a contrast here, but it's not between um, rebuke and love. We might be tempted to think those two things are opposites, but they're not. Contrast in this verse, it's between something that's out in the open and something that is hidden. And the idea here is that it's better to be on the receiving end, Proverbs says, of an honest rebuke than to have the kind of friend whose love is hidden. Kind of friend who who never speaks up. Listen to how someone has put it. Hidden love is selfish for the lover out of cowardice or laziness refuses to risk self in the best interests of the beloved. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And so there are relationships between people where one person or maybe both are just unwilling to ever say anything that would would challenge the other. And Proverbs says that isn't a friendship. You might think you're close. You might have lots of things in common. But a good friend is able to challenge you. It's not the whole of what being a friend means. But if it is any kind of friendship, then the relationship is strong enough to take that. So here are some questions to consider. Just think about these questions. Do we have friends like that? Or have we arranged our lives in such a way to avoid people speaking into our lives? Are we friends like that? Or are we unwilling ever to say difficult things to those we love? By the way, I don't think we can have relationships like this with, I don't know, 582 people 
or 581 people. I don't think we're meant to have. But look ahead to verse 17. Not in our reading tonight, but I'll sneak it in. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Do we have friends like that? I think uh, couples need friends like that. I think single people need friends like that. I think it's very easy for newlyweds to isolate themselves from other friendships. I think young parents need friends like this. And I think it's easy to get to middle age and life is just so busy and work is so demanding and we have few friends who know us, who love us and when it's needed can challenge us. Maybe we're older and we feel alone. We need friends. Just look at verse 6. It continues this idea, doesn't it? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Again, look at the contrast. We'd almost expect this verse to, I guess, be the other way around. Faithful are the kisses of a friend. We'd almost expect it to speak about the wounds of an enemy, wouldn't we? And yet that's not what we see. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Jonathan was a great friend to David, wasn't he? He was devoted to him. And Nathan was a great friend to David too. Remember what he did after David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered? He confronted him. He told him a story. He told him a story about two men, how a rich man stole a lamb from a poor man. He told it in such a way he made David say, David get angry. He would speak out and rage against this man. Then came the punchline. David realized he was looking in the mirror. You are the man. And those were the kind of words that David needed to hear. They, they led him to repentance. Sometimes you and I, we need to speak like that too. See, sometimes we, we get stuck in sin, don't we? We need to be confronted by someone. The man in, in verse 8, he's a man who needs friends like that, isn't he? Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. A man's place is in the home. Here's a man who could do with some friends like that. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's another layer to, to this honest speech. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That word earnest, um, in the original, it's, it kind of means soul or, 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 or self or, or the inner being of someone. And, you know, speaking with a friend we trust... And getting that kind of advice, that kind of counsel that comes from right within them, a place of love and honesty, it's a precious gift, isn't it? Maybe we've had a difficult decision to make. And maybe we've gone to a friend for advice. And we've asked them, what do you really think? What do you really think I should do? And that friend has told us, that friend has helped us. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Sometimes the people who help us do that are family friends. 
you know the kind of friend I, I mean by that? Does your family have family friends? Does your family have trusted people, not, not actually related to you, kind of honorary aunts and uncles for your children? Does your ha- family have people your family would go to in a crisis kind of people? Well, Proverbs seems to suggest that should be the case. Look at verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Proverbs is saying we're to be loyal to our friends, but we are also to be loyal to those who are friends, to those closest to us, to our parents, if they're still alive. These are the kind of friends who've been connected to us for generations. These are the kind of people who can tell stories about our parents, who can can say, I remember when your dad was younger than you. And friends like that are really special, aren't they? If you can picture a few people like that in your mind just now, then thank God for them. Maybe you are someone who can be a friend like that. Maybe tonight God wants you to be that kind of friend. Maybe you need to seek out the children of one of your friends. Maybe you need to ask God to give you the kind of friends that your family could one day rely on. I think it's hard to think of a greater privilege than that. The anti-friends, the good friends, maybe you can predict where I'm going already, the best friend. The best friend. That's the final point tonight, the best friend. I heard someone say this week that the Lord Jesus seemed to value friendship very, very highly. And that's true, isn't it? He had the 12. And remember what he said to them in the upper room. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus was a friend. And Jesus needed friends. Jesus was the kind of friend who took people into his, into his confidence, who told them things, who revealed things to them. He often spoke to the crowd, didn't he? And yet so often Jesus then retreated with his closest friends, with the twelve, to, to speak to them in private. Jesus had the twelve. He also had the three. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. They were his earliest followers, some of his earliest followers, they were with him at some of the most important moments, weren't they? They, they witnessed his glory at the transfiguration. They saw his power to raise Jairus's daughter, Peter, James, and John. They were with him. They saw his agony in Gethsemane. And Jesus was a friend who spoke frankly. When Peter tried to tell him he didn't have to die. He rebuked him. And Jesus had a friend who became an enemy. Jesus had a friend whose feet he'd washed, his life he'd shared with him, but that friend betrayed him with a kiss, didn't he? Jesus had the twelve, he had the three, Jesus had the one. It was the disciple Jesus loved, the apostle John, one he, he seems to have been closest to. Jesus had friends like Mary and Martha 
and Lazarus. Jesus had the wrong sort of friends, tax collectors and prostitutes. Maybe best of all, Jesus was the friend of sinners. And that means Jesus is able, is willing to be your friend too. Someone who understood this was J.C. Ryle in his uh, book, Practical Religion. It's a book um, I'm on the personnel committee of the presbytery that Andy and I are a part of. And all the free church candidates had to read Practical Religion by J.C. Ryle this year. He has a lovely chapter on the friendship of Jesus. He calls Jesus a friend in need, a friend indeed, a mighty and powerful friend, a loving and affectionate friend, a wise and prudent friend, a tried and proven friend, an unfailing friend. J.C. Riley, he warns of the danger of rejecting Jesus' friendship. And he says this is something that millions of people have done. Maybe tonight we're praying for someone we love not to do that. Or maybe it's even more personal. We're here this evening and we need to hear the call to become Jesus' friend. We need to go from being his enemy to being his friend. We need to ask him to pay for our sin. If we do that, we'll find that he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. But in case you and I think we are the kind of person Jesus wouldn't want to be friends with, well, Ryle, J.C. Riley sums up the friends that Jesus has come to know. Listen to this. He says, Jesus has had friends of every rank and station in life. He's had friends of every age that man could pass through. He's had friends of every possible temperament and disposition, friends of every condition in life. He has had friends of almost every nation and people and tongue. Listen to this. They are to be found on his list of friends, reserved Englishmen and cautious Scotsmen, impulsive Irishmen and fiery Welshmen, volatile Frenchmen, and dignified Spaniards, refined Italians, and solid Germans. Now, J.C. Ryle, he's resorting to stereotypes, isn't he? But you get the point. See, just think how many people in heaven now, with their great friend, once sang these words, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins, and griefs to bear. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Heaven is full of people who have learned, who know now more than they've ever known, that the greatest gift, the best thing in life, is to have Jesus as their friend. And now they see that friend face to face. See, Jesus is a friend for life. Jesus is a friend who will stick with us through death. He is a friend who we will know for all eternity. Jesus is the friend who knew us before we knew him. He's committed himself to us. He's promised. He will never let us go. Maybe tonight we need a fresh reminder that he is our friend. He is our king. 
He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our savior. But Jesus is also our friend. And so, friends, look to him. Lean on him. Rest in him. Enjoy his friendship. For in his arms he'll take and shield you. And you will find a solace there. Let's pray together.